Let's turn in our Bibles to the chapter of God's Word which we read in the prophecies of Isaiah, chapter 6. And as God would help me, I'd like to focus on verses 1 to 3. Isaiah, chapter 6, at the beginning. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, 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 is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. In the year that King Uzziah died, what kind of year was that? It was a year of political upheaval. It was a year of economic uncertainty. It was a year of spiritual confusion. It was a year of religious decline. And all these things were plummeting at a frightening pace. And then Isaiah saw The one thing that could have made things worse. The death of the king. In these days, that could have sparked off revolt. That could have sparked off anarchy. The outlook at that time was exceedingly bleak. And some historians maintain it was the darkest years of Israel's history. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing what Isaiah then saw? He saw the Lord high and lifted up. That's what we need to see. We need to see the Lord high and lifted up. Is not our, is not this year So similar. Hmm? Political upheaval. Economic uncertainty. Spiritual confusion. Religious decline. Never so seen at such a pace, I, 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 I believe. We need to see what Isaiah saw. Can we see the Lord when our leaders lose control? When when there's disorder and secular reigning supreme, you can say, as the Bible puts it, when iniquity comes in like a flood, we need to see the Lord. Isaiah is called the prophet of contrasts. He was always contrasting things, trying to bring hope 
when no one could see any. He talks about deserts blossoming like the rose. Sterile deserts. Deserts where you could plant things and nothing would grow. He could see blossoming as a rose. He spoke about parched ground becoming pools of water. He spoke about deep crimson red sins becoming white as snow. And yet, Isaiah saw little success. I think he's got the biggest book in the Bible, has he not? What success did he have? What is his complaint? How does he start off sections of his message? Who has believed our report? Very, very few converts, if you want to put it that way. Very few. Unbelief prevailed in Israel at this time, whatever you preached. Prophets would come and they would preach judgment. They didn't listen. Prophets would come and preach revivals coming. Made no difference. Whatever form his message, whether it was positive or negative, people didn't listen. Unbelief prevailed. And yet, Bless, bless Isaiah, he, he seems to have excelled in preaching light and hope where there was nothing but darkness and despair. Isaiah could see God when religion was at its lowest ebb and we need to learn from Isaiah. Well, actually, from God because it's God who speaks through Isaiah. We need to see God the way Isaiah saw God. How did he see him? How did Isaiah see God? He saw God great. He saw him all powerful, high and lifted up. And you and I today in our country, we too need to see God great when we see with our eyes the might of Islam marching forward through our land. We need to see God high and great when terrorism affects almost every nation. We need to see God high and great when all the nations are corrupt and probably none more corrupt than our own nation. We say, what hope can there be? We need to see God high and lifted up above all the chaos of earth, among all of that's going on between the nations. We need to see God high and lifted up above the nations. We need to see that God with authority. You see, it's all very well 
saying someone has power. All power. But it's vitally important that that all-powerful has authority. Now tell me, how do you define authority? If I asked you, what's authority? What would you say? Isn't authority this? The right, the right to do something. God has the right to do what he pleases. He has the right. God is the sole proprietor of everything. Because he's made everything. And he made everything just by speaking. Just by calling it into existence. We talk about energy. We need energy today. How's this for energy? Let there be. God has that might. And he's got the right to do whatever he pleases with everything. Because he's made everything. And he has made everything for his own glory. He's made everything, in other words, to please him. Have we pleased him? Are we pleasing him? That's why we're made. That's why we're here please him and God has the right to do as he pleases he is incontestably sovereign with the right to do anything he pleases isn't it wonderful what pleases him isn't it wonderful what pleases him isn't it wonderful it pleased him to bruise his son so that wretches like you and me could get to heaven. That pleased him. When you read about the sufferings of Christ at the end of the Gospels and you, you just cringe, it pleased God to bruise him so that we could be with him, so that you and I could be in heaven with him. He's high and lifted up, sitting on his throne. Seraphim with six wings surrounding him. The right to do as he pleases and praise him for what pleases him. I think that's a good definition of a Christian. You can praise God for what pleases him. But when I say I saw God, it wasn't just that he was all-powerful, that he was great, and that he was full. He was the ultimate authority. The ultimate authority. But he saw God's holiness. He saw the seraphim and the angels saying, Holy, holy, holy. And what effect did that have on Isaiah? When he saw God so high, so great, so right, God's right, and so holy. What effect did it have on him? Isn't it amazing? 
Isn't it amazing the effect it had on Isaiah? At the same time, at the same time, it broke him. It broke him. I am a man, I am un- woe is me, I am undone. It broke his it broke his spirit. And yet, at the same time, it motivated his spirit. He said, send me. The man that's broken, the man that's undone, the man that says, woe is me. He says, well, when God comes to say, who will I send? Send me. That's what we call a paradox. It's not a contradiction. And I always remember preachers saying, he would never allow anyone into a pulpit that didn't know the difference between a contradiction on the one hand and a paradox on the other. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. That's the Christian. The two things. They're not contradictory. Broken. I woe is me, I'm undone. But who will go for us? Send me. Motivates. On the one hand, paralyzes. On the other hand, motivates, stimulates, encourages, eh? Isn't that amazing? What effect is seeing God and his holiness have on Isaiah? He abhors himself. Woe is me, I'm undone. And yet, what does it lead to? His sin being cleansed. His sin being cleansed. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. Paradox, not a contradiction. A paradox. Seeing God will weaken. But seeing God will strengthen. Isn't that amazing? As God can do that. A sight of God can do that. Weaken you. And yet strengthen you. To follow him and obey him. sight of God when you see God's holiness it makes you see how hopeless you are and yet it fills you with hope there's God oh there's me self ruined but there's hope hope in God at the same time at the same time God is great, high and lifted up. God has the right to do as he pleases. He's made everything. Everything belongs to him. He has the right. God is holy, holy, holy. But listen, God is high above, but he is also not far away he's near very very near the whole earth is filled with his glory the air you breathe God's air God's air God is in your breath the breath you breathe oh he's high he's away way up there but he's near 
He's not far away. Within touching distance, within breathing distance, listen, you can whisper to God and he hears high, high above. And you can whisper and he hears your whisper. Yes, he hears your thoughts. Have you got some thoughts in your head but you haven't the nerve to speak it out? God can hear it. God hears the cry, the sigh, the groan, the groan. He hears the groan of the prisoner. Where is it that the apostle says, to whom did he address the words, he is not far from any one of you? To whom did he say that? Acts 17.27 Pagan philosophers on Mars Hill. And it's not Paul that's saying it, really. It's God that's saying it through the apostle. He is not far from any one of us. Where does God preside? You know what amazes me? In 9-11, people say, where was God in 9-11? You feel like saying, well, have you tried calling in his house? Eh? Have you tried calling where he lives? Where is he? He's never more anywhere than in his house. He's here. In this room. He's here. High above. Yeah. But not far away. That's something, isn't it? But God also, this great God, so high, so holy, so full of authority, so near, he's merciful. He's merciful. He delights in mercy. It pleases him. It pleases him to show mercy. Here is Isaiah, and he's seen his sinfulness. He's seen his sinnership. And he's seen his sin being purged away. His iniquity taken away. His sin atoned for. His sin paid for. The sovereign, you see, as we're saying, he has the right to do what he pleases. And it's wonderful what pleases him. It has pleased him to choose a number that no man can number for multitude. Is that not biblical language? A number which no man can number for multitude to be with him in glory. That's what pleases him even when it meant punishing his son. It pleased him to have a number of people so large we couldn't, as the sand of the sea, innumerable. And he knows every one. 
It's just innumerable to you and me. God knows how many grains of sand are in the seashores. We probably couldn't count the number of seashores. He can count the grains of sand innumerable to you and me. He comes down to our language. He speaks in language we can understand. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. The incontestably sovereign God has been pleased to choose sinners to be with them in glory. And he has chosen that anyone, anywhere, anytime, who calls on his name will be saved. That's a gospel for you. Well, can you see God? Can you see God when there's nothing but discouragement around us? Can you see God? The Bible mentions four times that God is invisible. Paul Speaking about the king, and you see, I think we read that somewhere. Um, now, uh, de defining God, describing God, now to the king, eternal. You see, they're upset. King Uzziah's died. Is there going to be a revolt? Ah, but he says, I've seen the king, eternal. Immortal, invisible, invisible. Paul also says, writing to the church at Rome, chapter 1, verse 20, he says an amazing thing. Speaking about God, he says his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Come on, what do you make of that? Romans 1.20 His invisible attributes clearly seen. Have you got it? That's God. That's your God, isn't it? Is it? Invisible attributes clearly seen. In Colossians he talks about the image of the invisible God. Can you see the invisible God? Hey? What about Moses? What a life he had. I, I often think that when you clock 80, you do think now and again of Moses. Called at 80 to serve God. How did he put up with that? People in the wilderness for 40 years till he was 120. He endured. How did he endure? What does the Bible say? He endured as seen him 
always invisible. Can you see the invisible God? Can you see the invisible God? It's life changing. It's life changing. Well, if you see God, the invisible God, if you see him like Isaiah saw him, then you'll say, nothing else is great. Nothing else is great. You've seen God high lifted up. Nothing else is great. If you've seen God, as I say I saw God, there's nothing else relevant in this world. Hey, what else is relevant but knowing that God you've seen? Nothing else is significant. Hey, you've seen who made you. You've understand why he's made you. What else is significant? What else is relevant? Tell me. What else is important? What else is important if you've seen God as I see a son? Have you heard of the English poet Christopher Morley? I, I only read about him. And what, what I read about him was this. Uh, he apparently was a, an atheist, or certainly a atheistic uh, lenience. And he said this. I had one million questions to ask God when I met him. I had a million questions to ask him when I met him. But when I met him, they all fled from my mind. The million questions just vanished into thin air. And here's the important phrase. It didn't matter. You know what it's like. You say, well, I must ask so-and-so when I meet him. And then you meet him and you've had a great chat and you go, oh, I forgot to ask him this. Nothing like that if you meet God. He said the million questions were totally irrelevant, insignificant. Have you seen God like I say I've seen him? If you see God, you see all you need to see on your way to eternity. That's all you need to see. See God as he's revealed in Christ. You and I are not living in the year that King Uzziah died. You and I are so blessed compared to Isaiah. Maybe you're saying to me, hey, wait a minute. Is there amazing Christ? Well, I did imply, I did refer to him. 
But you see, where's Christ in this? He's in the last verse. He's in the last verse of the chapter. Whose stamp remains when it is cut down. So the holy seed shall be its stump. Isaiah lived at a time when Israel, one of the last prophets before Israel, were taken into captivity. And they were to be decimated. But there was a stump. A stump left. Christ is a stump. It's referred to in Acts uh, 13, verse 23. Paul, or is it Peter, refers to Acts 13. It's it, it refer, it, it referring to, to this verse. The stump, Christ. Christ never leaves. And you see, you see how the Lord sitting on the throne, it's a triune God. You hear people saying, for example, oh, wait a minute. Christ never said anything against homosexuality, for example. Christ never said, listen, Christ is part of the Godhead. If the Father said it, if the Holy Spirit said it, Christ is saying it. He's part of the Godhead. And you see, verse 8, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us, plural, who will go for us? The triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Now, you and I have far more light, far more light than I say I had. And you may say, just as, as we finish, as we clo close, you might say, eh, wait a minute, that was all right for Isaiah. I say I got a vision. I don't have a vision. I beg your pardon. You don't have a vision. We don't have a vision of God. What's this? What are you holding in your hand? What am I holding in my hand? What are the scriptures? What are they but a vision of God? A vision of God through Christ. This, this whole prophecy is pointing forward. That with all the devastation that was to come in Israel. If chastisement, not punishment. Christ takes up punishment for his people. But the chastisement for their sins. There was a stump. The stump was Christ. You see. Christ is the understandable version of God. There is such a gulf between God and us. We need something to identify with. Christ, the second person of the Godhead, came into the world. And Christ said, with regard to the scriptures, these are they which testify of me. We've got this vision of Christ in the scriptures. And Christ said, who he that has seen me has seen the Father. He that's seen me has seen the Father. Have you seen Christ? Can you see Christ? Can you see God? The triune God. 
May God, the Holy Spirit, make his word, his truth, effectual to every one of us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we bow our heads and come into your presence through that great name and ask that you would receive us, every one, for Christ's sake. Unite us to him in a vital, saving faith. Make him all our salvation and all our desire. O Lord, show us thy glory, his glory. Here now, in Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Now, we'll conclude by singing from Psalm 97. Psalm 97 at verse 9, we sing to the end of the psalm. For thou, O Lord, art high above all things on earth that are above all other gods thou art exalted very far and we sing down to the last verse ye righteous in the lord rejoice express your thankfulness when you unto your memory do call his holiness psalm 97 verse 9 to the end <clears throat>
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever.